0: Hi, I'm Mark. Hi, I'm Sophie. And this is You Know What I Like, where we sit down each month and play about something that we are unhealthily obsessed with. You know what I like? Richard the Third. Richard III is a tragedy by William Shakespeare, believed to have been written in 1593, based on the real-life events of the king that the play is named after. King Richard III rose to power towards the end of the Wars of the Roses, a 30-year-old period of civil war in England, and has become one of the most famously hated kings in English history. As documented loosely by the play, he rose to power after his older brother, King Edward IV, died from an unknown illness. Historical sources document how Richard then killed and manipulated his way into power, despite Edward having legitimate heirs and Richard himself having an an older brother. The play is the fourth part in a tetralogy that contains Henry VI, part 1, 2, and 3, and then ends with Richard III. The story arc starts just before the War of the Roses begins and concludes with Richard's death and the ascension of um, Henry VII. The other important characters in the story include his brother George, the Duke of Clarence, his wife, Lady Anne, his mother, the Duchess of York, and the recently widowed Queen Margaret, the wife of Henry VI. The play has been regularly performed since its initial creation and is often cited as the first of Shakespeare's historical plays that reached a significant level of dramaturgical significance. okay so so for those of you who don't know this (laughs) this whole whole episode is happening because of a throwaway joke (laughs) that we made back in our the chronicles of st mary's episode
1: one thing that i found interesting like if you were to try and like pick up i'm just gonna keep using richard the third as my example (laughs) yes if you were like midway through richard the third's reign and you were like just come with us rich pick him up yeah and you just picked him up put him in your pod (laughs) Like, history would would fuck you up because it's like, no, no, he needs to stay there, what you doing, babe. But what happens is you get this whole thing about going to take items that are about to disappear from history and the timeline because they're about to be destroyed. And then if you save them, you can bring them back into our time and preserve them. So that's like an interesting topic
0: so i really want richard i go to him on his deathbed
1: no if you went to the battle of bosworth field just as he had been being clubbed to death and dying (laughs) well but then no actually richard the third's not a good example because then we're supposed to find his body in the car park
0: I want Richard III, Sophie.
1: Well, go find his bones. We have them now. <laughs> they were in a car park.
0: How do we know that they're not just the fake bones that I planted there after I stole Richard III from the Battle of Bosworth?
1: Because they tested the gene markers against his descendants and they matched. I'm
0: very good at faking the bones of Richard III, Sophie.
1: I Well, I mean, in which case, I wish you and Richard many happiness. <laughs> Thank you. I am so proud that this episode <laughs> is happening. I love that we made a throwaway historical joke about you eloping with richard the
0: third and now it's
1: just prompted an entire podcast episode of its own
0: hells yes (laughs) so like uh, this is actually to go into my experience of richard the third yeah like uh, this is actually the first shakespeare that i've read entirely voluntarily
1: yay so like
0: i read uh, much ado about nothing in school yeah and like i Like, I've got, like, a vague memory of liking it, like, at the time. But, like, I've just not gone back to it or, like, anything at all. So, um, I was in, um, Edinburgh on holiday. Yes. And I was in this, like, really, really cool secondhand bookshop. Like, it was amazing. And I saw that they had the um, Norton Critical Edition that contains the play. And then, like, after the play, like, you have, like, the real-life history. And then, like, a bunch of, like, critical essays on the play and stuff. Yeah. So, like, I've been able to, uh, like, properly get, like, some of the context. Because, like, when you read things, like, a lot of the time, you still haven't fully processed it yet. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's good to, like, have this whole bunch of people like talk about like their thoughts and things. Yeah. Um what's your like experience with uh, Richard the 3rd?
1: Um Richard the 3rd is one of those plays which has sort of entered modern consciousness in many ways like even if you haven't read it you have like a sense of what the figure of richard is like if nothing else Mm -hmm. i first read the play probably about six or seven years ago now just for fun just because i have all the shakespeare plays um Mm -hmm. so i was like just trying to work my way through them all over time okay um and i really liked it i really enjoyed it i was it was my first one of his historical plays that i'd read um and i actually like was surprised by how like accessible it was because you never know like what that's gonna be like and then um for my birthday last year i went to see it put on it like on my actual birthday um, there's a theatre company called Antic Disposition and they travel around Britain and France and they perform Shakespeare in cathedrals oh wow it was in Bristol Cathedral um, they performed Richard Third, and I will talk about it later because I have thoughts because it was fantastic and that really brought it alive for me because there's one thing reading plays and then it's another thing to actually like see them performed um, Mm. and that was really brilliant i've also seen the film with ian mckellen
0: yeah um i did watch that as well actually so like uh, that was my way of seeing it like actually being performed
1: oh yeah it's like whether it's live or on film it's just like seeing some form of portrayal does help bring it all alive a bit more yeah 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 Yeah, that's all my experience.
0: Okay. Like, I want to start the conversation by, like, um, taking a step back and, like, I'm talking about the real Richard III. Okay. So because, like, you know, like, a lot more about, like, um, kings and queens of England um, than I do. Yeah. As you said, like, a lot of people have this idea of him as, like, a really, really horrible king because he killed some people to get into power and everything. Yeah, But surely that happens pretty regularly like in the history of England oh yeah so like um is he really like a lot worse than what a lot of other people did
1: I think the thing is with Richard III specifically because there's other kings throughout history that have not had very good PR like King John a lot of the time due to like Robin Hood portrayals we all think King John's the shit and that Richard the Lionheart's great because Mm -hmm. like you get like myths form around people once they've passed on the thing about richard the third is he's unlucky enough to be the final plantagenet king before the tudor reign and if there's one thing the tudors were good at it's pr <laughs> no but like the tudor dynasty yeah, yeah. you know like the tudor dynasty in many ways is like English history, the Tudors, like it's one of the first things you think of. And Mm. they understood the importance of image and of your legacy. So like, you know, Henry VIII, Elizabeth I, we have all these iconic portraits of them, iconic ideas about what they were like as kings and queens. And Shakespeare, as someone who is um, attempting to get the patronage of your rich influential people kind of knew where the wind was blowing and where you should flatter and stuff so a lot of what we think of as richard iii is this invention that's come from this play and it's like probably like as kings go yeah killed some people all that sort of stuff but like so did a lot of other kings yeah like, that's yeah they're all a bit shit yeah in some ways because like um because uh, cuz okay so can i do a little potted vague history of the yes. Wars of the roses
0: um, can you give us like a bit of like general background of the real world events okay
1: i will try again i should always clarify this with i'm not a fancy historian i yes. am merely a girl who likes history so um henry VI was a lancastrian there are, so the the houses of lancaster and york both stem from the royal house of the plantagenets it's just they are two houses which have as probably as valid a claim as each other on the throne, just through different linear lines. So um, the House of Plantagenet is our overarching royal house. Henry VI was House of Lancaster. He was on the throne. But Henry VI um, essentially suffered a mental breakdown at one point. And as a result of this, it became like this power void opened up in many ways, which then sort of this squabbling between the House of York and the House of Lancaster, it opened up a way in which that could become more of an issue if there'd been a strong king on the throne, you know, to like put people in their place. It might have been different. So then Henry VI got overthrown and Edward IV got put on the throne. And then uh, Edward IV, who is king when Richard Third play takes place, took the throne for real because Henry VI was
0: killed. That tends to end a reign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> death.
1: But um so then the events of Richard III take place and obviously as we all know what happens there with the death of Richard III that's the end of the Plantagenet line. The house of Plantagenet had pretty much ruled since about
0: Henry II, which is early 1100s. So
1: that's like a a good solid chunk of our kings and queens were Plantagenets.
0: One thing that you touched on earlier like when you said that the reason why um, Richard III has become this some um, hated figure like it's because of the portrait like painted by him and um, partly by by this play and it's um highlighted in the um Ian McKellen film right at the very end of that film when Richard kills himself to stop himself being killed by um, Henry VI in the like big final fight. and then um, Henry VII um come like, um, gives this like look to camera and like a really um, dark smirk. So like a lot of people say the the way that he is portrayed at the end of the play, it implies that he is not going to be any better than Richard the Third is. That, like, it's just, like, one tyrant being um, replaced with another. So what are your thoughts on that as, like, an idea of kings and successions?
1: I think that's a really interesting idea. I think one thing that, obviously, Shakespeare is renowned for is for being able to draw out multiple readings from him his work Mm -hmm. so um i feel like it's definitely a very shakespearean thing to be like appease your patron with a a thing that seems to be praising their house of tudor or whatever and then actually like throw a little ambiguity at the end you know that's Mm -hmm. that's quite i mean from all of my shakespeare experience i would say that that's probably quite typical (laughs) okay whether or not all of these Shakespearean readings are deliberate mm. it's it's always that thing where it's like if you can find your evidence in your text to back up your claim then it's entirely valid I, I find that I think that's quite an interesting um, thing I hadn't actually heard of that before obviously I've seen the film as is but um, I quite like that because the Tudors are not virtuous you know like (laughs) Uh people are people um but also like the very concept of having a king is a concept that i find problematic in many ways because it's like here's a person appointed by god who's better than everyone else and we're gonna rule and you know like all that sort of thing like people are just people there's nothing that makes Henry VII inherently better than Richard III unless it's it's proof is in action if you will. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time if you take away everything you know about the reign of Henry VII like there is absolutely the potential for the cycle to just perpetuate. Here's another king who's gained his throne through violence, through bloodshed and death. Like what's to say that it's not just continuing the cycle. Actually it turned out like this is pretty much our final instance of taking the English throne through force. Mm. But um, yeah, what do you think of it?
0: One comment that I read in uh, one of the essays in this book, yeah. From the essay called um, Conscience and um, Complicity in uh, Richard III. Yeah. That um, ties into the theme of of the um, complicity of the audience that like I want to get to as well. Yeah. Where a quote from someone called um, Barbara Hodgdon that reinforces this is that she says, When the actor playing Richard shakes off his character's death and rises to take a curtain call, it's inevitably to the applause of spectators who were delighted by his nasty exploits and who don't regret having cheered him on yeah and the fact that the actor playing richard is going to get a much bigger cheer than the actor playing henry the 7th yeah so it's this implicit like reinforcement of this idea in some strange theatrical way like I'm um, giving richard the victory over henry the seventh
1: yeah well i mean one thing about this play which i find interesting is how much more more in the first half than the second half really how much richard talks directly to you tells you his plan tells you what he's doing tells you how you know he he's acting to everyone else but to the audience he's honest and i feel like that's part of what makes him a likable villain like not likable villain but you love to hate him because he gets you involved in his story by directly appealing to you and it means that you can't help but like have this connection with him because he's the only character who really talks directly to you yes
0: yes and this is a thing that like that like I'm kind of aware of the characters in Shakespeare's plays doing but like in this instance by making the villain of the piece the protagonist you do like as you said get like get drawn into it yeah like drawn into not believing in his plans but like you want to see what happens next like and there's like part of your mind that's like rationalizing it away
1: and he makes you complicit in it by the very act of including you it's like you're a co-conspirator in the plan yeah but then in the second half he does it a bit less and things are less successful to him and I wonder if there's supposed to be some I don't know if it's purposeful but I wonder if there's something you could draw out of there that's like he isolates himself and it all goes to shit
0: him as a person as well he's this like sharp-witted character who like um always has a thing to say and like um always wants to be the focal point in a scene and there's this like exaggerated and like performative way that he does everything Mm. that is to a degree entertaining to watch yeah So, like, in the scene, I don't remember the exact scene number, like, off the top of my head. Yeah. When he's trying to get um, Lord Hastings to say something against him so that he can uh, condemn him to death. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing this, like, whole grandiloquent speech. My arm is like a blasted sapling withered up by Queen Elizabeth, that monstrous witch. If she has done this deed, my noble lord. If you protector
1: of this damned elizabeth talk you to me you are a traitor off with his head now by saint paul i
0: swear i will not die until i see the sound and it's like so ridiculous that he's like pointing to these things about him that like um everyone knows have been with him from birth that there's like part of you that is like not quite not quite laughing at it but you're like enjoying how he's being so flamboyant about yeah. it
1: when I saw it performed number one the, the actor who played Richard III was absolutely brilliant but he he really played those moments like that he did play them for, for comedy mm-hmm. which was really fun because it was it was very small audience because we were in the middle of a cathedral and um, the performance was happening there was like two rows of chairs facing one way and then two rows of chairs facing towards those so that you were like both sides of the audience were looking at each other and then they performed it down the centre of the cathedral in between you so like he would be able to perform it and then like be turning around to each side that way of making you complicit where like when he's facing the pe- the performers it's like he's playing it straight and then he turns aside to the audience and you're involved in this humorous moment that he's like oh let's all laugh together and it also like that humor is what also makes you complicit not just like I'm telling you my plan but now, like, now you're laughing along with me while I'm doing my plan and everything Like
0: yeah like uh, you're like a lot more like engaged with him Yeah, and like a lot of- people's sp- um point to um act five scene three when richard is um visited by the ghosts yeah and he gets this like moment of conscience yeah as like the like emotional core of the play yeah because for me like a lot of this play um is about that complicity with richard Mm. the for me it's the like emotional core of the play is um act four scene four which is when the um duchess of york and the two queens speak to each other. Mm. And they have this like long lamentation about how because like at this point like a lot of their like husbands and like sons have been killed and like they've just gone through so much that when you're just with Richard and he's, like, bringing you along on his, like, not fun games, but there's that, like, touch to it. Yeah, That, like, it's only when you get to actually see the reactions of the people that his actions are affecting that you realise, like, oh, wait, like, um, this is actually not funny.
1: Yeah, it reminds you of the human cost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you don't get that for, like, so much of the play. So, like, I love that scene for that reason. mm mm-hmm. like, um, Like, and, like, from what I've read of the various, like, Adaptations of the ones that exist that were talked about in the book that I read. Apparently, um, Queen Margaret, who is the wife of um, Henry VI, who has like just been through what the current queen is going through, like with the loss of her um, husband and sons. Yeah, like she is taken out of a lot of the versions that most people play.
1: Oh.
0: I like I find it strange that she is lifted out of it because yeah. like she just seems like the like emotional like human cost as you said of his action. She
1: she was in our performance and um, one thing that made that was interesting about the performance we saw is because like there weren't very many of us um when you arrived the actress who's playing her she was she was dressed in an old soldier's uniform was looked like it could have been her husband's and she had this she had the the flag draped around herself the flag of york and um she was kneeling on the floor in the middle of the nave As you come in and you sit down and you take your seat and everything, she's just there and she's like grieving. That's like the first thing you experience for this play. It's nothing to do with Richard. It's like her. She's the first focal point
0: oh wow that's so good
1: yeah and then that scene where all the women talk that was really powerful i remember like viewing it especially like i like the actresses all did like a really really great job etc but like that is one of the standout memories of that performance so then Mm. to 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 hear that that normally is just entirely removed seems really weird because that was one of those emotional resonances
0: Like, um, one quote that I got from this book, and I um didn't um, write down where it came from. Yeah. Is that she refuses to let audiences continue their enjoyment of the grim comedy of King oh. Richard's merry pranks.
1: Yeah, she's a real, like, I don't mean this in a disregarding way, almost like a real downer.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> Shush, Margaret, jeez, I'm having fun. Yeah. Stop telling me about your dead husband. I get it, okay? <laughs> We mentioned that he, he being Richard, is some degree of, like, of, like, a fun villain. And, like, I wanted to um, talk to you more generally, like, about villains in pieces. Yeah. So there's, like, two types of villains, maybe? If I'm, like, uh, missing any, then, like, um, please add on.
1: Okay. (laughs) But the ones
0: that I thought of are the villains that are good villains because you hate them so much. Yeah and the ones that are just like fun silly villains who are like the antagonists where the villain like is never really that villainous yeah do you think that that there's any other kind of villain that we need to talk about
1: i mean i feel like there are shades of gray villains
0: Mm Hmm. like uh, where they're right
1: or not even not even where they're right but you know sometimes it's all to do with your personal outlook
0: Mm. well like it's like when you come down to using the word um antagonist like rather than villain yeah so they're the antagonist because they like oppose the protagonist but they're not actually bad people yeah yeah do you have any like examples of so for the first category like um good villains who you just hate
1: oh well i mean there's a really obvious one which is that everyone hates joffrey from game of thrones okay like that's a very effective villain insofar as you're like you're a piece of shit and i hope you die <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah like yeah. Um, in that same vein um i really like cersei in game of thrones
1: yeah whereas see because loads of people love
0: cersei i love to hate her like yeah she is awful but loads of people just love it okay well that's weird i like um i judge those people a little
1: bit. <laughs> a villain i like who's kind of similar to cersei going back to shakespeare is lady macbeth okay i feel i feel like there's a lot of lady macbeth in cersei but i kind of love lady macbeth's just like dark intensity mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just like like there's this whole speech she does that's like unsex me and then she's like calling on like dark spirits to like remove all every trace of like feminine weakness i use quotation marks for that mm-hmm. <laughs> just wanted to do like an honorary mention yeah, my, yeah, yeah. My girl. Yeah, <laughs>
0: my girl, Lady Macbeth. <laughs> Woo, Lady M. Are you now going to like elope with Lady Macbeth?
1: I just have Lady Macbeth feelings. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we'd be a good match.
0: I like that you've thought about it this much.
1: No, I'm just like I know myself.
0: Is it the murder thing?
1: It's the murder thing. she'd be like hey you're not because a lot of what she does with with macbeth is like question his manhood and be like oh you're a real man because you haven't killed duncan yet and i'd be like i don't need you calling my gender into question just because i'm not prepared to murder for you babe
0: okay i want to see that like as like a really strange sitcom
1: (laughs) what about villains that you love like that you like that are likable
0: so like a lot of the ones that i could come up with were actually disney villains oh i
1: thought of low i was really proud when i managed to think of one that wasn't a disney villain i was like i was just like in my head i was listing disney villains yeah yeah like um, (laughs) i'll
0: go for my obvious one then you can say you're not as obvious one okay um i really like um yzma and Krunk from emperor's new (laughs) Groove. ah how shall i do it oh i know i'll turn him into a flea. And then I'll put that flea in a box
1: And then I'll put that box inside of another box And then I'll nail that box to myself And when it arrives
0: ah, <laughs> I'll smash it with a hammer
1: Yzma was my first Disney one I thought of, yeah
0: Because <laughs> they're just so incompetent Yeah And so bad at their jobs But they won't admit it And they won't like separate and go different ways Yeah That they're just like so committed to their shtick Kronk
1: is actually lovely True <laughs> Like, that's what. Like, Yzma's like the cackly, cackly evil one. Kronk is genuinely like a cool guy.
0: Like, but she's bad enough at it that, like, you never really feel threatened by her. Like, yeah. Like you, just, like, you just, like, enjoy her presence. Yeah.
1: I also really enjoy Ursula as a Disney villain. Okay, why? Because A, she's just fantastic and has a great soul. Those poor unfortunate souls, so sad, so true. She's just sort of like trying to like make things the best for herself that she can. And I kind of respect that. Because you like, this is the comforting reality with Disney villains where you always know that they're never really going to win. So I can just enjoy Ursula as just what she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what was your aim, really?
0: I come like, um, up until the point where she turns into the other lady to try to get in the way of Ariel. Like, she's just doing business. Yeah. Like, um, You can, like, disagree with her terms.
1: Yeah, but she's just a businesswoman making yeah. it in this hard, hard world. I don't know. I just, yeah. I'm just not convinced that King Triton isn't a little bit of a dick.
0: Okay. Um, what's your villain who you came up with who is not, like, an obvious Disney villain?
1: Long John Silver. Okay, from Treasure Island. From Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Yes. Okay. Um, he's great because he is entirely out for himself, mm-hmm. and he is upfront about it. He just wants to get his gold and go home he's so likable he's a really charismatic villain like even like jim really likes long john silver like he he has a way of being very charismatic and gets you on his side and everything but at the same time if you get in his way he will leave you for dead i don't know i just he's a really fun villain in -hmm. the book because you kind of like him
0: um like i feel like villains that people can say that they actually like um actively like or ones that they are more forgiving of are the ones that tend to be more more honest about like their villainy
1: Yeah, like, he's villainous, but he's got a twinkle in his eye.
0: Well, like, um, because, like, I'm thinking of, like, um, Emma Frost from the X-Men. Yeah. So for years and years and years, like, she was, like, genuinely, like, a villain. Like, she gives a pony a heart attack to (laughs) teach her student a lesson. Okay. But, like, she is just... Like, she doesn't try to pretend like she's doing anything else. Yeah. So when she joins the X-Men, she doesn't, like, try to act as though she was righteous that entire time. Um, Which is a problem that, like, a lot of people have with, like, Xavier. Like, um, he rationalises everything. But she's like, no, like, um, I did terrible things. Yeah. So, like, then you get to be able to, like, move past that. Like, as much as you can do.
1: Kind of a bit like Spike from Buffy. In many ways. Because, like, obviously when you first meet spike he is a nemesis and then as the show goes on he becomes part of the group and there is that adjustment period where you have to make it go from we're trying to stake you to you're our friend yeah which involves a lot of like i was a monster blah 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 you know like
0: you can't ignore these things i feel like that is a good way to write a fun villain then yeah
1: i have an example of a shades of gray villain if it helps to illustrate what i was talking about yeah go for it mrs coulter from his dark materials because when you read the first book northern lights mrs coulter is our villain she's the one who's doing all the let's separate children from their demons etc but then obviously as the book goes on and the scope gets grander by that final book she's not a good character but she does a good thing which ultimately helps save the day it doesn't it doesn't discount all of the bad things she's done up to this point like she's still a bad person but it's it adds an interesting layer to her so like that's kind of what i mean when i talk about shades of gray
0: yeah, like you can see that she has the capability for good in terms of like not hurting other people.
1: And you can see how she's gotten to where she got to be so bad. Mm. That it it leaves you it leaves me with lots of little fuzzy grey feelings.
0: Like, um, that's the category that, um, characters like Spike and Emma Frost, like, probably fall into.
1: Yeah, it's just that I wouldn't say that Mrs. Coulter is, like, that lovable villain type thing, because she's not super, you know, she doesn't have that element where you're like, oh, you. Yeah, okay. You know, but she does have an element where I go, oh, when she does, like, her sacrifice at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of of classifications, actually. Wow, that was a okay. very good segue. Ooh,
1: ooh, unintentional. <laughs>
0: Hello. <laughs> I want to talk about a scene from the play that really, really bugs me when like a lot of people talk about it. And it's um Act 1, Scene 2, that like a lot of people call the seduction of Lady Anne. Uh, sorry, you said
1: seduction. I immediately made uh, that <laughs> noise involuntarily. I was, like, like you <laughs>
0: vomited a little bit. Yeah. So for people who don't know, at this point, um, Richard has already set some of his schemes into motion and he's um, decided that he needs a queen to give himself some clout as a king. And he's locked his eyes on the grieving, the currently grieving <laughs> Lady Anne, who is the wife of the prince from the old regime. So the son of King George Sixth. Yeah, and when I read this play for the first time, like I sent you like a message, Sophie. Yeah, with my groundbreaking theory that um Richard would like totally be like an incel if he was alive nowadays. So like I've got a small bit of script here that I want us to read. Yeah. So like I want us to do like a bit of a performance. Like I'm um, just to prove my point. So I'm going to play Richard, and Sophie is going to play Lady Anne.
1: Okay. He is in heaven where you shall never come.
0: Actually, can I give a bit more context of this? Because, like, that doesn't make sense. That t-
1: they're talking about the Edmund who was um, Prince of Wales, who died, who Anne was married to?
0: Yes, and is, for context, they are currently walking down the street. Like, she is walking down the street while holding his body in a coffin.
1: He is in heaven, where you shall never come.
0: Let him thank me that helped to send him there, for he was fitter for that place than earth.
1: And you are unfit for any place but hell.
0: Yes, one place else, if you will hear me name it.
1: Some dungeon.
0: Your bedchamber.
1: I'll rest upon the chamber where you lie.
0: And it will, madam, until I lie with you. I hope so. I know so. But gentle Lady Anne, to leave this keen encounter of our wits and fall somewhat into a lower method is not the cause of... So the then the scene stuff. carries on from there. Okay. So, what part of that is romantic? What part of that is a seduction?
1: Well, it's it's very much with Richard. Everything he does is about power, and it's the same when it comes to seduction. He's not he's not seducing her because he's like, actually, I've always loved her, and this is my moment. Of he's course. seducing her because it's another power play.
0: In like a bunch of the essays that I read, they called this like a genuine seduction, oh. and like some of some talked about how like impressive it is that he manages to charm her here. What? And like some one person said that uh, Lady Anna wants to be seduced, and that is why she is leading her corpse of her dead husband down the middle of the street. Tell me this person's name,
1: and I'm gonna go <laughs> knock on their door and just yell, "You're wrong!" And it's then like, run away. What play are
0: you reading?
1: That's a load of shite.
0: It is. Like I understand that um, this was uh, most likely a um political marriage, but still. <laughs>
1: Bid me
0: a farewell. It is more than you deserve. But since you teach me how to flatter you, imagine I have said farewell already. What I liked about what, like, um Ian McKellen did is that, mm. like, it uh, makes it clear it, in his version that she is doing this, one, because she is, like, terrified of Richard, and two, because she just wants some way to keep existing in some form. Yeah. And, like, I think that, like, reading, like, a lot of these essays, like, um, highlighted to me, like, how, like, important it is to have, like, a diverse set of voices on a topic. Oh, yes. <laughs> because clearly, like, some men think that this is an acceptable way to behave.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's there's it's not this is not a seduction
0: gum it's the fact that he calls this a keen encounter of our wits I'm like oh. Ugh,
1: uh. and she's mostly just telling him I wish you die and he's like oh our banter isn't yeah. just delightful <laughs>
0: no like she has spent the whole scene like wishing him dead yeah and he's like oh it was so witty when we fight our-. i mean like no fuck off go away
1: what's annoying is that there are people today who genuinely are the same that like they think like oh a woman tells me to leave her alone she's into me and you're yeah,
0: like oh like it's some like strange game that they're playing it's not a game being very clear yeah like pay attention to the words that i'm yeah saying. oh <laughs> no God. go away
1: he's such a dick
0: do you have many thoughts on as we just talked about the um ian mckellen version of this play
1: I will say I didn't rewatch the Ian McKellen version for this podcast because mm-hmm. I didn't have time. So I am slightly fuzzy on it. I have mem- I can remember some of the visuals of it. I'm I'm aware like they interpreted it in like a very like fascist sort of like message, didn't they? Yeah. He's like a dictator type thing.
0: So like it like imagines an England in the um, 1930s that was in the middle of a civil war, and like it very like explicitly um like um, as you said like um deals with the rise of fascism. Yeah, it does really like recontextualize the play in like a modern modern setting. Mm. So like what I really liked about it like um is yeah. because I was trying to convince my partner to watch it with me because like he's not a fan of Shakespeare in general. Yeah, and what this film does that is really good is um. When um, Ian McKellen was writing the screenplay in a move that I think, like, um, angered some annoying purists. He took out, like, um all of the, like, these and thous and all of the, like, um archaic language. So, like, it is very, very consumable. Mm. If you want to consume this play in some form, but, like, you're worried about if you'll be able to understand it then i really do recommend them um, this film.
1: Oh, i think it's a really accessible adaptation and it and by positing it in a slightly more contemporary to us context. Like like i'm really into history. That's my thing. But like if you're someone who you're like the wars of the roses, you don't know anything about them. You're like, "Oh, would that be interesting?" comparing it with this thing which we have a much more contemporary knowledge of and which is you know something like you study in school stuff like this like it gives it does in many ways make it more accessible because it's like a, an era of history which like you can recognize the imagery that's being used and what that's supposed to evoke in you and stuff
0: oh yeah like it's not like at all subtle in like it's like a um, nazi imagery at all <laughs> no
1: but that's that's what i mean like that's yeah, yeah. much it's a much clearer way rather oh yeah than like, like, um, like that was a good thing yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah Like, it has a really good cast as well. Like, it has um, Ian McKellen in, it has um, Annette Bening, has Maggie Smith, has um, Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Like, it has, like, an amazing cast.
1: Yeah, it's really, really good. Can I share a final anecdote from the performance I saw? Um, it's just that during the interval, Mr. S went to the toilet, and the actor who was playing Richard III was just coming out of the cubicle, and he was still (laughs) completely in character. And then he like he like had like a conversation with him while he was still in the Richard III character, where he was just like, alright. like I'm as
0: Richard III." Yeah wow it was
1: just just, he came back from the loo and he was like i've just had the weirdest experience
0: it was great what do you say to richard the third
1: it was just like all right (laughs)
0: like i hope you die soon
1: yeah he was like that was really really weird
0: yeah i want to end the podcast with a quote again as i've done so many times from the book that i read (laughs) and it really um highlighted to me the reason why even though it might seem strange to have like a villain as a protagonist in a story that like you root for like I'm um, beyond like I'm um, getting you to analyze the complicity that we've already talked about yeah why it is so important in general to fully like talk about and like reason through villains yeah it's from an essay called the new chronicles of England and France by um Robert Fabian yeah and he said, "'Tedious it is to me to write this tragedious story,' probably saying that word wrong, "'except that I remember that good it is to write and put in remembrance the punishment of sinners, to the end that others may eschew to fall into like danger.'" Which I think, for me, like encapsulates why it is so important to not just discard talking about bad people and villains. Even though like not many people are going to like attempt to become king in their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> But may like apply it to their lives in different ways. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. Yeah. I think that's valid, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean like if you want to become king, then like this play is not a great roadmap.
1: I mean you're gonna you're gonna have some struggles.
0: But like, um, he was king. so...
1: Oh yeah, I just mean if someone now was to try and apply the Richard the Third method of gaining the throne. Yes, you're gonna. It's gonna be a little tricky.
0: Well, like everyone's, I'm um, gonna be there, like holding up the play, like.
1: Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, and also like security's got a bit better.
0: Um, you do you, you do you. But you we do don't you. endorse murder. But- As a podcast, we don't endorse murder. The
1: podcast is taking a stand, <laughs> and the stand is against murder.
0: Murdering the king is not a good thing to do.
1: Or anyone. <laughs> Just would like to be clear. Doesn't matter if they're royal or not. Our general view is done. Murder, do yes, murder, murder is bad. Yes, murder is bad. It. No, thank you.
0: At the end of each episode, we um, each assign a number of flailings to the thing that we've been discussing. Um, how many flailings do you give um, Richard III, Sophie?
1: I would probably give it eight because although i would not say i am currently in the throes of a richard the third obsession when you were like i'm gonna pick richard the third i was so thrilled that you'd a wanted to even do it in the first place and then it reminded me of how much i enjoyed seeing it performed and all stuff like this and i just feel like it's really good so i'm going for an eight
0: okay i think i would say the same actually so like i am in the throes of a richard the third obsession yeah I've said his name way too many times over the past, like, <laughs> month or so. Because, <laughs> like, it took me, like, a while to read through, like, all of the essays and the play and everything in the book. So, like, I was always like, "So Richard Third, right?
1: I'm so thrilled that just an anecdote joke... <laughs> from an episode has resulted in you gaining an obsession with Richard the third yeah yeah because um you sent me a picture of a book you bought all about the wars of the roses and I showed it to Mr. S and he has also read the book and he was like that's a really great book and I was like
0: he's reading history I'm reading actual history oh
1: literally thrilled couldn't be happier
0: Mm. and that's the end of this episode of you know what I like please leave a rating and a review. It helps some other people to find the show and we'd love to be able to flail at more people.
1: We hope that you've enjoyed listening to us ramble and please follow the podcast on Twitter at YKWILpodcast or drop us an email at YKWILpodcast at gmail.com. Come back next month where we get overly excited about pirates.
0: See you then.